Hello, women of Dallas, and welcome to The Collective Podcast. Before we jump in with our episode, we want to first take a moment to introduce ourselves. The Collective is a women's ministry at Watermark Community Church with the goal to unite the women of Watermark to transform the city of Dallas. We want to inspire and empower and equip and connect women of all ages and backgrounds across our city. Our ministry consists of quarterly events, connecting opportunities to meet with other women each month, and so much more. Anyone is welcome, so we would love for you to bring your friends. Check out watermark.org slash collective to join in and see what's next. We are praying that God will encourage you through our times together to feel united with other women, inspired to know this powerful God, equipped to know how to serve Him well, and unleashed to serve others. Now let's listen to today's episode where we'll highlight an ordinary woman living an extraordinary life of faithfulness. We're so glad you're here. Welcome, friends. I'm your co-host, Chelsea Shea-Friesen, and joining me today is our fearless leader, Callie Nixon. Hello, lovelies. Today's topic has so many levels of emotions to it, for me personally, and I'm sure for so many of you listeners. So we want to enter into the conversation with a little more gentleness and delicacy as we're going to talk about sexual abuse and the emotional work that comes with those experiences. There are many different kinds of abuse, and our hope is that through the story of one woman's journey through sexual abuse, we will be able to speak into the common aches of all survivors, although we know they are different. Also, if you're thinking just now, abuse isn't part of my story, so this isn't for me, hold on one sec, because one of the key things we will be focusing on is the role of emotions in our lives. Because in all of the conversations surrounding abuse, we want to recognize and discuss how vitally important it is to process your emotions and how detrimental it is to avoid your feelings before the foot of the cross. Amen. Because I, we may not all have walked this same road of abuse, but I'll tell you there are many who have, who have not shared about it yet or who need help being able to verbalize what happened to them. But even in the emotions that we go through to deal with whatever rough things have happened in our life. I don't know anyone, man, woman, or child, who who couldn't uh, use some help learning a little bit more about God's purpose for emotions and how to deal with them in a healthy way. So ladies, let's just get ready. We're going to dig in a little bit today. And wherever you find yourself today, this episode is for sure for you. And one of the reasons is because you get to hear from a very good friend of mine and somebody who has um, walked this road really, really well and is one of my heroes. Welcome with me today, Lainey Tate. Lainey, thank you for being here. Yes, thank you for having me. I'm so glad that you're here. And we hear the words in in these recovery circles, survivor and thriver a lot, which can sound kind of cheesy. <laughs> but really, I think they're what one of the things you're going to help us articulate and come to see today is there's a difference between surviving abuse and living a life that is thriving after abuse. And you're doing both of those things. And not only that, not to like get to the punchline too early, but you're using those gifts to literally change the trajectory of women's lives. So before we get into that, tell me a little bit about who you are, how you spend your time and your family. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm a mom. I am married to a wonderful godly man. And I've got two kids, a daughter who is eight and a son who is seven. And I just am passionate about helping women find freedom in Christ. And I love the outdoors and hiking and adventures. And I love mm-hmm. sports and just hanging with my people. And our kids go to school together. Oh, yes. Which is probably your other favorite thing about. Oh, of course. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> well, not to shift gears too hard and too fast, 
but we got to get to the meat and potatoes of this. So, mm-hmm. Lainey, I want to ask you this question with a lot of levity and a lot of tenderness. Would you mind sharing with us your story? Sure. Um, when I was in high school, I was sexually abused by my high school track coach. And uh, he was an older man in a position of power and trust over me. And he really manipulated his um, role to gain my trust. And he started grooming me by um, buying me track shoes and earning my trust and earning my parents' trust and seeming like he was the good guy that was, you know, there to support me and encourage me. And then told me um, that he loved me and I was desperate to feel love and attention. My parents had been divorced when I was a young child. And so having that love and attention from an older man felt like, oh, this is what love really is. And when he said he wanted to marry me, but I couldn't tell anyone, I believed his lies Mm. um, because he told me that I would get in trouble and that I wouldn't be able to run track anymore. And track was kind of my life at that point, you know, school and sports and wanted to run track in college. And so I didn't tell anyone and it was a secret. And um, it began slowly with just a hug and then a kiss. And then before I knew it, he had taken my virginity. And so um, it was really hard and really painful. But I was like, you know, he's my coach and I should trust him. And I guess this is what love is. And because he's older and a position of power over me, then um, this is what I'm supposed to do. And so little did I know at that time that that was actually sexual abuse. So um, that went on my junior and senior year of high school. And then I went off to college thinking, oh, okay, well, now that I'm going to be in college, then we can start dating openly because I'm old enough now. And um, he just kind of disappeared from my life. And I was like, wait, I thought you loved me. I thought you wanted to marry me. And I didn't know how to cope with that pain, and I just stuffed it away, and I began drinking and um, just um, covering up all of my pain with alcohol and avoiding all the emotions of what had just happened, avoiding all of the sadness and all of the anger and the fears, and um, and then I also started having just a lot of really unhealthy relationships because I found love and security in the attention of men. And then um, that pretty much explains my whole college life. And then after I got out of college, um, I began to realize like, oh, gosh, like a 20-something-year-old dating a high school student is just weird and sick. And I don't want this to happen to anyone else. But I didn't really know, even at that point, I wouldn't have called it sexual abuse. I just knew like, oh, this was yuck. And it was disgusting. And it just didn't feel Mm -hmm. good. And so um, I one day was over at my parents' house and they gave me a news clipping where it showed that my coach had been charged with sexual assault of a different teenage girl at a different high school. Mm. And at that point, it was just like a knife in my stomach. And I was just like, oh, and it was like my greatest fear of I was not the only one. And um, it was just really hard and really painful. So at that point, um, you know, I went home and tried to figure out what am I going to do with all of this information and I don't want him to hurt any other young girls. This isn't right. And so I finally, for the first time, like terrified, went and told a family member, I'm like, hey, that little girl wasn't the only one. This happened to me too. Mm. And that family member was like, hey, don't tell anyone. He's hurt you enough as it is. Just pretend that this didn't happen. (sighs) And I was like, okay, well, I really wanted to testify in court. And they're like, no, that would destroy the family image don't say anything. And so I didn't say anything. 
and I continued to drink and um, have unhealthy relationships. And then he got off that trial in some sort of a technicality. And then six months later, um, a family member gave me another newspaper article that he'd been charged with sexual assault of yet another teenage girl. Mm. And at that point, I was like, okay, well, if I can't trust my own family with this story and this pain of sexual abuse, then I have no one else to turn to. And so I had believed in Jesus as a little girl, um, but I felt like I had never really learned how to trust him. Um, And so I was like, okay, God, if you're out there in a way that I do not yet know you, you've got to reveal yourself to me and give me the courage to go and testify in court. And I Mm kind of prayed the serenity prayer, which my grandmother had taught me as a child. And I was like, okay, Lord, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Like, I can't change the past. I cannot change that this track coach abused me and hurt me. Grant me the courage to change the things I can. I'm like, okay, you can give me the courage to go testify in court so that this man cannot hurt any other young girls. Mm -hmm. And then um, grant me the wisdom to know the difference. And I was like, that's it. That's the, the wisdom is like, I know the difference between what I can do and what I can't do. I can't change my past, but I can move forward Um, and have courage. And so I went and testified in trial and he was convicted and put in jail for nine months and 10 years of um, probation. So then once the trial ended, I ended up going to a church that taught the Bible and learning more about who Jesus is and that he loves me and he wants to have a personal relationship with me and that I am forgiven of my sins and the sins committed against me. And, um, But yet I didn't really know how to let go of the old lifestyle of, you know, a lot of alcohol and promiscuity. Um, But yet I was trying to learn about Jesus and walk with him. And so there's this several year period where I went through this double life where I had a foot in the world of living in the ways of the world and parties and promiscuity. And then a foot in the world of, okay, let's go to Bible study and let's show up at church on Sunday, even though I'd been out of the bars till three o'clock in the morning the night before. And then I finally just kind of hit rock bottom And after just a really broken, unhealthy relationship in which, again, it was a man in a position of power and trust over me that had abused that power and trust. And I was like, okay, Lord, I am at rock bottom. I get it now. You want all of me. You want my finances. You want my relationships. You want all of me. And it was that point that I was like, okay, Lord, I need help. I don't think I really have dealt with the pain of the past sexual abuse. And so I went through a um, three-month program that was a Christ-centered curriculum for women who'd been sexually abused to find hope and freedom in Christ from the pain of my past. Mm. And it was um, really, really helpful and really uh, one of the best things I've ever done in my life and really impacted me where I found freedom and healing from the pain of my abuse. So going through that curriculum of learning how to find freedom in Christ was super impactful Um, And then the Lord used it in lots of ways where then I was able to help other women find hope and freedom in Christ from the pain of their past sexual abuse. Um, God even took me overseas to different countries to help other women. And like the same scriptures that had worked in my heart, worked in the hearts of those other women for them to find hope and freedom um, so that they were not um, just caught in their shame and then in their fears and their insecurities and that they could begin to find their own identity in Christ. But yet the Lord just continues to heal me. And then even like this past six months, that was probably 15 years ago that I went through that curriculum. And in the past six months, the Lord has brought me through a whole nother season of healing, of really learning to identify and process my emotions related to the abuse and also to process my emotions and just everyday things that happen. 
And that's another part of my journey is I went through um, just a, a process of healing from post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD. And so that's one of the things that I'm really excited to tell you all about today. I mean, and we just took, you know, we just took a snapshot of two or three decades of your life, right? And I'm over here like pissed, honestly, but like <laughs> I'm listening to to what you're talking about. It just hits on so many different levels and people in my life who've walked through similar situations and it's just so hard. And I just, I would be remiss if I didn't stop right now and say, the Lord hates it. He hates it. And I think one of the hardest parts of the Christian walk is that age old question of Lord, why in the world do you let bad things happen to good people? Why, why evil? Why allow evil to exist in a world when you could just with the, the breath of your voice eradicate it immediately. And I think that's something that we all have to wrestle through in our own way, but I think you specifically um, and all victims of sexual abuse have to wrestle with it in a way that is so beautiful to me to see the redemption of the Lord, that he would even use how alone you felt to draw you to himself. It just makes me think about he did the same with his own heart and with his own life. In Romans 8, 31 and 32, it says, What then shall we say to these things if God is for us? Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And I'm like, the Lord is right there with us in that pain. And there's there's several sermons that we'll include in the show notes for you guys just on how do we deal with that problem of evil. But what I want to know from you, Lainey, is, how how did this, what you walked through, how did your abuse leave you feeling about yourself and then about the Lord? And I, it sounds like you've gone through different iterations of that, but kind of let us in and some of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, before experiencing any healing at all, as far as how I felt about myself, is I was just full of shame. I felt worthless. I felt like I was damaged goods. And, you know, once I had already, you know, lost my virginity, I kind of considered myself damaged and tainted and worthless. And so I was like, well, what's the point now of, you know, practicing purity because it was stolen from me. And so it was just really hard for me to figure out just even how to have boundaries in relationships. And so, um, I just really had no value and I just felt just kind of disgusting, honestly. And then as far as I, how I felt about God, I was just really wrestling with, well, if God really loved me, then why did he let this happen to me? Right. And so it took me a lot of time just to kind of wrestle with those questions. And, you know, now I can say today that God absolutely loves me and he does allow pain and suffering and evil in this world. Um, and sometimes we don't always understand it. it. Sometimes we don't, it doesn't always make sense, but he has used that brokenness and that pain in my life to draw me to him, to find freedom. And we hear around here at Watermark a lot, feelings are real, they're not reliable. And that can both help people who are wired certain ways, and sometimes it can be harmful. And so I feel like you had shared, you, you heard that a lot. Mm-hmm. And so what did, what did you have to do to break down that to make it make more sense for you? Yeah, when I heard that statement, um, feelings are real but not reliable, it gave me permission to avoid my feelings. Mm which I already, I didn't know this, but because I had PTSD, I avoided my feelings. And so the only, so we have feelings on four different scales, basically. They're either sad, mad, glad, or bad. And bad is feelings along the scared line. So worry, anxious, nervous, those are bad feelings. And I was really stuck in 
the mad feelings and anger. And I felt like I'd always told people, well, I just have an anger problem. So mm-hmm. I felt I went through like 15 plus years of Christ-centered recovery being like, I just have a problem with anger. Well, what I didn't realize is that when people told me feelings are unreliable, it gave me permission just to be like, "Uh uh-uh, not going to go there. They're not reliable. I can't process my sadness, that I am sad I lost my virginity. I can't process my scared, that I was scared that he was going to rape me. I couldn't process my fears. And so, and I couldn't process joy, which is crazy to me to think, well, who doesn't want to be glad? Of course, I wanted to be glad, but I didn't know how to feel the emotions on the glad scale. And so um, I've just recently learned that feelings are absolutely real and they are absolutely reliable. And we need to process those emotions and we need to sit in those emotions. And then after we have really, truly felt the fullness, the full extent of the sadness, the full extent of the anger or of the fears, then we can evaluate our options of how do I want to act upon these feelings? Right. So in the moment, I'm not saying I'm angry and Callie, I'm going to punch you in the face because, right. you know, you said something mean to me. I may be like, okay, I am angry. Like I'm, I'm really, I'm sad that she just hurt my feelings. And so there's an example I'd like to give of, um, cause people, you know, if they've heard feelings aren't reliable for so long, it's like, well, if I'm standing in a dark alley and someone assaults me, what feeling am I going to feel? I'm going to be scared. And is that feeling real? Absolutely. And is it reliable? Absolutely. Because that feeling is a signal from my body of, man, this is scary. I am scared to death. I got to get the heck out of Dodge. It is absolutely reliable. And then I run away. And so in the moment, I just need to be able to process my feelings as they come and then respond with, okay, now, Lord, what are my options? How would I go about processing this decision. And my thoughts and my feelings are going to be very different. So what I think in my mind is very different than what I feel in my heart. And the Lord gave them both to us. And feelings truly are a gift from the Lord to be felt and processed. Totally. And I I was thinking where some people get stuck, where I think that that phrase can be beneficial for, for some people wired differently is like, I, I process all my emotions and then I sit in them forever <laughs> and I don't move forward or I don't take the right next step. And so what I hear you saying is we use emotions as indicators of w- what is going on inside of me and what steps should I take as a result of that. And if we do that, then we're going to move through the emotion rather than run away or run around it and bypass it. We're going to move through it and allow it to indicate our next steps. That's awesome. Yeah. And something that keeps coming to mind for me is John eleven thirty five, 35, which is one of the more famous Bible verses. Jesus wept. It's the easiest one to memorize. Easiest. <laughs> but, but what that acknowledges is even an all-knowing God who knew the future of the story he was looking at sat and in desperation allowed his heart to break over the pain that he was experiencing in this world because it's painful and it just connects me to him. And so, I mean, I, I really resonate with everything you're saying. I'm kind of shaking as I listen, as I grow from your wisdom and from your story. Um, after all your trauma and challenges, uh, both the things that happened to you and that you chose to pursue, what did your road to healing look like? Um, I think that a lot of that was honestly just learning how to process my feelings. And so uh, I think of Psalm 126 of those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. And I um, 
realized that I had not processed my sadness uh, and my fears of the abuse. And so it's like sadness is a gift from the Lord. He cries. He grieves over the abuse that happened to me. And I had kind of replaced, you know, different thoughts and different lies with scripture. But in the middle, I had avoided my feelings. And so, for instance, um, one of the things that um, I believed was sex is shameful. And so I learned as I read the Bible that sex is a gift from the Lord. And I also, you know, have read the scripture and believe the scripture that um, in, I think it's in um, Isaiah, that says you will forget the shame of your youth. And so I learned how to forget the shame of my youth. And I learned that sex is a gift from God. And so I had those truth statements, but I never really sat in this sadness of uh, the tears and the grief that I had experienced as a result of the sexual abuse. And I had never really sat in the fears and like sewn those in. So when he says like, so in your tears of sadness, I really had to just sit and sew them in. And then as I did, I began to reap in the joy. And it's like once I was able and willing to go and do the hard heart work to really feel the full extent of the pain, the full sadness, the full fears, the full scared, then it's like, okay, Lord, you really have freed me and I have forgotten the shame. And not just with my mind, but like with my body. I don't feel that shame. I don't feel that disgust. And it Mm. says that he wipes us clean as snow. And I could have told you that before, but now that I have learned how to feel the full extent of the disgust, now I also feel the full extent of the purity and the righteousness that he pours out over us and his grace. And so my healing um, really was just, it's come in waves and it's come in seasons. And um, part of what I've just recently learned is that, you know, that, that anger signal that God gives us when we are in danger and we are scared, then our, it's an autonomic system, autonomic nervous system in our body where our fight or flight mechanism goes off. And it's, that's our signal of, okay, you got to run, you got to get to safety. And in the moment, you don't have time to sit there and process all of your fears. So after somebody goes through a trauma, they need to go back and tell that story and tell those details and feel the full extent of the fear, feel the full extent of the sadness or the anger or whatever you're experiencing. And your brain, the way God has wired it, is you have about a month to kind of work through those feelings and tell your story Mm. and relive that moment. And you're never going to hurt anybody by asking them about their story of trauma and even by asking them for the details because it's in the telling of the details that people reconnect with their pain and they feel those full feelings. But for most of us who were sexually abused, whether as a child or especially as a child, um, and then even as an adult, if you don't have the tools and you don't have people sitting there helping you be like, that was scary. And so many times as moms, like we just want to tell our kids, we want to put a little bow on it be like, oh, honey, that's okay. You're not in danger. You're safe. You're safe with me. As opposed to be like, hey, that was really scary when that man knocked on our window when we were sitting in the car. That was really scary when you fell off the slide. Then by feeling the fears and talking about those things, you're sowing in those tears, then you will reap a harvest of joy. What I hear you saying that's really ministering to me um So listeners, part of my story is I was sexually abused as a child. Um, 
And what I hear you saying that's really helpful and impactful is that healing comes in waves and the first step is acknowledging it. And then the second step is acknowledging the pain of it. And then from there, you can begin to see recovery in Christ as you give the pain over mm. to, the, to the cross, as you give the pain that you're feeling, not ignoring, not shoving down or acting out on inappropriately, identify it and give it to God. Like that ministers to my heart in such a massive, massive way. Mm. I mean, it makes me think of First Peter 5, 7, where it says, cast all your anxieties on him. Or another translation, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you and he will sustain you. It doesn't say like button up everything that's ever been hard and then lay the okay things before him. It's like lament before the Lord. He can handle it. Yes, absolutely. And so if you're out there and you're like, I don't even know what I'm feeling, or I'm so overwhelmed with all of these feelings wrestling through my mind that I don't even know where to go. This sounds really kind of crazy, but when I first started learning how to process my feelings in the moment, I literally would have to pull out a feelings chart and say them out loud. And so, you know, my son would be swinging his little toy sword at me, and I started going, I'm angry, I'm angry, mad, mad. Actually, I am scared. I am scared that my son is going to hurt me. Scared, frightened, terrified, 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 <laughs> sad. I'm devastated that he would want to hurt his mom. I'm sad he's disrespecting me. And after doing that all often for a couple of weeks, and I would start to be like mad, angry, angry, sad. My son goes, Oh, no. Here goes mom with the poetry again. <laughs> She's writing those poems. But it has totally revolutionized just even how I parent. Right. And now my children can say, I am sad or I am mad. So it's not just naming their feelings for them. But as we model it and we name our feelings for ourselves, then our children are learning how to experience the emotions that God gave us. And it's a gift from us. And so all that to say is I could never think through all of those feelings and all of those thoughts and be able to name them until my fight or flight mechanism switch was off. And it wasn't, I was never able to get it off until I set in the full extent of the pain and the grief and the fears um, and told my story. It was in the details of just like God pursues Adam in the garden and he says, hey, where are you? And Adam responds, I'm naked and I was afraid, so I hid. He expresses his fear of being afraid and then the shame is indicated there and God is giving him voice. And so when we give voice to those fears, there is freedom. Mm -hmm. And in John 8, 32, the Lord says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And the truth is in processing your emotions and finding freedom in Christ. It makes me think of Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. And in this verse, this really hit me in a new way as we've talked through this, that God is, our heart is largely attached to our emotions. And the second part of that verse says, and don't lean on your own understanding. And for so long, I focused on the trust part of that verse. And as we speak, it hits so close to home to focus on as much so on the heart part. And that I'm not always going to understand my heart. I'm not always going to understand my emotions, but God can be trusted with it and he can he is strong enough to handle my pain in it. He's trustworthy. And even when my emotions don't make sense, because he says it, he's like, don't lean on your own understanding. Like, emotions don't make sense. He's trustworthy to walk us through them. And it, it actually, as we were prepping for this uh, podcast, I actually found myself personally being triggered by 
certain parts of your story and telling you, I, I, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. I don't, I don't know why I'm so sad. I'm so upset. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm just so upset. And you, you gave me such great mm-hmm. advice. And so if someone listening to this conversation right now is feeling triggers, maybe by something in their past, um, maybe they're thinking, wow, this happened to me and I've never acknowledged it or told anyone. What next step would you encourage them to take? That is a great question. Um, I mean, first, I would just say pray that the Lord is there. He knows all of your emotions. Jesus even felt them. And we say, you said earlier, Jesus wept, so we know he felt sadness. But right before he went to the cross, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and that man was experiencing fear, fully man, fully God, and fully experiencing fear to the point where he had blood coming out of his body. That is fear. Mm -hmm. And so if you, if this episode is triggering something in you and you have those fears, you have that sadness, you don't even know. And it's just that just something isn't right. I just, I don't want to talk about it. So if you cannot tell your story of abuse easily, if there is anything that makes you hesitate or pause or have fear, then I just want to give you hope that there is room in your heart for healing and you need help and you cannot do it alone. God doesn't want you to do it alone. He didn't have Adam and Eve do it alone in the garden. He went to them immediately Mm -hmm. and he said, where are you? Because he wanted to be with them. And the Lord doesn't want you to walk through recovery by yourself. You are not alone. There is hope. You have Jesus. And if you don't have somebody in your life that truly loves the Lord to walk with you, then pray that the Lord would provide that person. And it may not be that your family is safe. It may not be that some of your friends or your coworkers are safe people to process that with. But I can tell you in my life and what scripture said is that the Lord will never leave you or forsake you and he will provide for you. And so have courage. Do not be afraid to go to him. Do not lean on your understanding because it may not make sense, but feel the freedom to cry, to sow in those tears of pain, to feel those fears and know that it's okay to be scared. Feeling the fear, you will not die being scared just from feeling fear. And I thought that I would a lot of times, so I wouldn't allow myself to. So there is hope for you. Lainey, would you correct me if I'm wrong, but would you also say, I'm feeling like there's phrases coming into my brain. Like if you say things like, oh, that's water under the bridge, or it's in the past, or let's just let bygones be bygones. I feel like if there's any of those phrases that go through your brain when you think about like your acute point of potential trauma, that should probably be an indicator that you need to do a little bit of honest digging in that area. Because I I don't know of anything that has ever just, any wound that's ever healed by just waiting with time. You know, sometimes these wounds run deep and you got to go back in and dig some of the gangrene out, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, it's one thing to let little offenses go, but abuse is not a little offense. Right. Exactly. And it is not water under the bridge. It is not something just like that was a long time ago. That just gives people permission to avoid their feelings, and it causes more harm. Right. And those statements can be just as harmful as the abuse itself. So uh. if you have a friend come to you and say this, then grieve with them. Say, I am so sorry. Help them process their feelings. Mm. Help them go to the Lord and find freedom and be like, it was not something that you should just forget about or will go away. Well, and I love that you're expanding that into other people. So uh, someone out here that's listening that they're like, oh my gosh, this is my best friend. And she's been walking through this. 
I hear you saying grieve with them. What are what would be some other tangible things that if you're walking with someone through this process who's maybe just beginning their process of healing or they're just starting to even ask the questions and uncover, what else would you tell someone to do? Um, I would say um, ask them their story. Tell me what happened. Where were you? When did it happen? Help them spot the lies because so often as survivors of abuse, we want to think like, well, it was my fault. Um, I was drunk. If I just hadn't had that drink. And it's like, no, 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 no. As a friend, you know that it wouldn't have mattered if they had one drink, 10 drinks, or no drinks. If that man wanted to, or woman, uh, lots of abusers are women. Um, The responsibility always belongs with the um, abuser, not with the victim. And so if you have all of these statements that are like, if only this, or I should have done done this, if I had not done this, all these kind of if statements is what I like to call them, then those are kind of indicators that you need um, somebody else in your life. And so if you're a friend, that it's not your story, but you can help some your friend identify those if statements, that will be so foundational to helping them begin to spot those lies feel the pain of that event and then move forward in healing and trusting the Lord with the truth. But you got to feel the feelings in the middle. Yeah. And this is part of my story as well. And, and as I've had the privilege of getting to work with you on crafting this podcast, um, you know, I had to turn to my community for some help. And one of them gave me such great advice because I would say I'm, I've begun the process. I'm not at the beginning stages. I'm a little bit further down the line and it still hit hard to talk about Mm. this. And one of the things they said was, and I think as an encouragement to you listener or as a friend to a listener is to affirm that this is going to come in waves. And while they might be past the point of acknowledgement, they might need you to sit with them in a new aspect of their pain. Like, Like it was for me, there was a new part of my story that God wanted to root out and redeem. And I mean, it happened 15 years ago for me. I mean, 20 years, sorry, actually. Yeah, it's hard. Happened over 20 years ago for me. And I can be as healed as I can be in each stage, but I won't know how much further healing I'm going to need till the next one. So friends, be willing to sit in the new stages of grief that are going to come as we progress through because this side of heaven, you may not find full healing and you probably won't. Right, right. And you know, Chelsea Shea, I I thank you for sharing that because Mm -hmm. that just reminded in me that as I went through this process of learning how to feel the sadness and feel fears, the Lord brought to mind a part of my story that I remembered um, when I was in college that there was a guy that I was dating for like four to six weeks. And I'd always, I was drunk when we went out one night and then we had sex. And in my mind, I always was like, well, I didn't say no in the right ways. And As I finally began to allow myself to feel fears, the Lord revealed to me that what had happened, it was rape. It was date rape. And so I was in his apartment, and he kissed me, which was fine, but then he tried to unbutton my jeans, and I was trying to push him away, and I was trying to say no. And then at the point where he just grabbed my jeans so hard that the material literally ripped I always said in my mind at that point, like, I just gave up. I just gave in. And I just said, okay, you can have, we can have sex. Well, going through this process of 
PTSD recovery and learning how to process my emotions, the people in my group were like, no, that was rape. I'm like, yeah. They're like, he ripped your jeans. Like, that was rape. And after 20, I mean, that was 25 years ago for me. And so, but the Lord just, I wasn't ready to deal with it. And so the Lord revealed to me, oh, like in that moment, I was scared to death. And so once I began to process those fears and to heal from that and that sadness of like, not only was I sexually abused by my high school track coach, which I'd experienced a lot of healing, I also had an experience of date rape. And so it was horrifying to live through two weeks of reliving that, that story of date rape every single day until I finally was able to be like, okay, I feel the fears that in that moment that I couldn't uh, sit there and process. And now that I've processed them, then it opened up in my brain and in my body and in my heart, all of the space to feel all of the emotions. And so I told you all at the beginning that I ignored the only feelings I felt were the mad and I ignored bad, sad, and glad. And I will just say like now I love living life, feeling joy. And before I would tell you that I was content or that I had peace, but I didn't truly have joy. Hmm. And so I had a goal for the last several years of like, I wanted to laugh more, but I never could like figure that out. Well, now I laugh frequently Hmm. and it's fun. And so the, the part of my feeling scale that they're all different colors, well, the yellow is all of the glad feelings. And so now I just have this little phrase of, I love living life in the yellow. Yes. I love living life with joy and with um, just the blessings that come from the Lord. And it just makes me think um, of this verse in Matthew six thirty four, which has always been one of my favorite verses of, do not worry about tomorrow for each day has enough worries of its own. It's like, now I know that worry, that's in the scared category. And so I don't have to live in the past of my pain. I don't have to live in the fear of my future. I can live every moment in the present, processing each emotion as it comes. So if it's sad, I cry. If it's happy, I experience joy. And so it is just so fun to experience all the emotions that the Lord gave us that are a gift from Him and to fully be who God created me to be in His image, experiencing everything as He would intend. Oh, it's funny, while you were talking too, I just was like, that's Romans 12 too, also. It is like, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. I mean, that is, and we've talked about this on other podcasts, but that literally the neurons in our brain can create these roadmaps of thinking that I'm always going to go this way, I'm always going to think this, and it it can be like trudging through like a forest, but that in time we can literally create new pathways for our brain to think new thoughts. And that's what I think about when you're yes. living life in the yellow. It's like yes. you have done the hard work of heart work. You have you have renewed your mind. God has literally, and there's studies and evidence that our brain literally changes physical form. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, lady, yes. Yes. you've done that. And yes. And I'm like a nerd because I did brain injury rehab. So I love anything about the brain. Oh, so, so cool. But it, it's, I would, the only thing I would say differently is, I did the hard work, but the Lord renewed he my renewed mind. renewed your mind. Yeah. It's beautiful. Y'all, the heart of this podcast is to highlight ordinary women living extraordinary lives of faithfulness. And we may just have to change our tagline because, Lainey, you're not an ordinary woman. Because I think sometimes the extraordinary happens in the everyday. And it's in the everyday of you committing yourself to the Lord and letting him heal you and daily fighting to renew your mind and 
it's just such an incredible blessing. And I, I hope I hope people don't leave here today going, if you follow step A, B, C, and D, you will be completely healed forever and ever. It it is a process. It's gonna look different for everybody, but it does have to happen with God's word, his spirit, and his people, and a lot of hard work. And so if there's anything from this episode that you guys out there are processing, if there's sexual abuse in your history, or there's so many other things we could touch on, spiritual abuse, mental abuse, physical abuse. If any of that is a part of your story, we want to point you to a ministry that is really amazing and new to us if you're in the Dallas area called Courageous Hope. If you're not in the Dallas area, there's a lot of other um, just resources that we'll put on our show notes for ways, but the biggest thing we can do is tell someone who's trusted if you haven't ever told someone and um, start doing the work today. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today, even though I feel like I have 10 more questions. But guys, what a joy. If you want to learn more about what we do here at The Collective, you can visit our website at watermark.org slash collective. Would you follow us on Instagram at watermark underscore collective? And man, be sure to take this episode and share it with someone who might need to hear the joy and the hope of Christ today. If you've got any questions or if this has stirred something up in you that we can pray for, we would love for you to email us at collective at watermark.org. We love you all. And we'll see you next time on The Collective Podcast.